Father, we ask that you would take these anxious thoughts that fill our minds at times. We pray, Father, for any offensive ways in us that you would forgive us, that you would cleanse us. Lord, we want to be well prepared to hear your word, to receive your word like good soil and have it take root and flourish in these these hearts and souls of ours. God, I pray for your enablement right now as a preacher. I pray that you would grant me strength, that you would grant me wisdom. Father, that your hand of favor and blessing would rest on me, not for my sake, but for those who have gathered, that they might hear your word powerfully spoken and that it would change them and change me. And so meet with us today by the power of your spirit with your word and do what only you can do. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to the first day of June. Summer is almost over. Well, June, a lot of stuff happening in June. You know, there's more weddings in this month than any other month. And I want you to think about the excitement with me of a wedding day. A wedding day that finally arrives and and it's going to be outside and it's picture perfect weather and you express your love to one another, exchange vows before family and friends, and the exchange of the rings is about to take place, and the pastor is soon going to pronounce you husband and wife, and then the best man is asked for the rings, and I want you to watch this video and look at what happens to this picture-perfect wedding. Chloe, will you have Keith to be your wedded husband, to live together in the covenant of marriage? Will you love him? comfort him, honor and keep him, in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others, be faithful to him as long as you both shall live. The rings, please. One tragic stumble is all it takes to ruin everything. One tragic stumble and picture perfect turns into complete disaster. That wedding video has been viewed over 100 million times. It's been shown on Good Morning America, The Today Show, uh, Tonight Show. It's ranked as one of the internet's 99 greatest hits. And that wedding video is a complete hoax. The entire thing was staged. Not all stumbles or falls are fake, though. There are plenty of stumbles that have ruined lives. There are plenty of stumbles that have hurt a lot of people, and tragedies have occurred. And as Jesus taught in Matthew 18, for it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to that man through whom the stumbling block comes. Matthew 18 is where the Lord talks about stumbling blocks, and I invite you to take your Bibles right now. And turn to Matthew chapter 18. And we're going to learn some very important lessons on stumbling. How to avoid stumbling. How not to be a stumbling block. And what to do when we come upon a stumbling block. Now I want to paint the context a little bit with you in Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18, the disciples have been arguing with one another back and forth. Of all things over which of them was the greatest. 
talk about lacking spiritual maturity and a lack of a servant heart. So Jesus, in the midst of their arguing with one another who is the greatest, takes a small child and teaches these disciples an important lesson on greatness. Because greatness is not about having a position of power and authority. Greatness, he's going to teach them, is about humility and simple trust. And with that child before him, he is then going to transition into a series of warnings and teaching on stumbling. And we see this in verse 5 of Matthew 18. So read along with me verse 5 of Matthew 18. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks, for it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come. But woe to that man through whom the stumbling block comes. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be cast into eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and to be cast into the fiery hell. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. The first thing the Lord teaches is the importance of prioritizing spiritual encouragement. There's a lot of stumbling blocks in this world, and God says, I want you not to be one. I want you to be the spiritual encouragement in people's lives. He says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Now, the question is, who is this child that Jesus is referring to? Some believe that the child he's referring to is a literal child or literal literal children. He has a child right there, and children we know are precious in the eyes of God. As a matter of fact, in the next chapter, Matthew 19, he'll say, let the children alone. Don't hinder them from coming to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. So, whoever receives one child could mean a little literal child. Others believe he's talking about children of God. He's talking about new believers or people young in the faith, spiritual children. The context of verse 3 and 4, Jesus was teaching that people must humble themselves and become like who? Like children. So a child is a good illustration of a new believer in Jesus, a young Christian not fully mature in the faith. So does it mean literal children, or does it mean spiritual children? Yes. I believe it means both. Both are appropriate. Both are biblical. Both are true. Receive the children in Jesus' name. Receive literal children. You know, it's very easy to ignore little kids. Not care about them, treat them as second-class citizens, see them as bothersome pains, they talk too much, they're always in trouble, and, and just try to ignore kids. Jesus says, that's not what I did. I welcomed the kids unto me. Maybe he's teaching that we need to start taking a greater interest in loved ones. And the sad thing is, is the older we get, it seems like we lose less and lose more and more interest in kids and see them as more as a pain. It's not how Jesus reacted. Welcome the children, teach the children, serve the children, help the children, care for the children. Children are a priority to the Lord. They need to be a priority to you and me. They need to be a priority in this church. I praise God for the nursery workers. They're in there right now, changing your kid's stinky diaper. Praise God for those preschool and elementary and junior and senior high teachers teaching our children right now. 
the precious truths of God's word. God bless them for their service and follow their example. Receive kids, literal kids, but it can also mean receive young Christians or spiritual children. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. It's really easy to ignore new Christians. I mean, we all have busy lives and we already have our little network of friends and, you know, new believers need your help and support. They're very vulnerable to the enemy. New believers need encouragement. Transitions can be very hard as their lives are changing, spiritually speaking. New, new believers need advice and wisdom. And, and you and I, we've walked with the Lord longer than them, and we have so much to offer them, to encourage them. By the way, I want to let you know that God has been birthing a lot of baby Christians in this church recently. We're having a lot of people come to faith, more so than ever in the history of this church. We praise God for that. He's bringing them here to be encouraged. He's birthing them here to be blessed. I mean, we saw a gr- whole group of them baptized two weeks ago. God is doing a work And he's brought them here to be encouraged by us. He says, welcome them. He who receives one such child in my name receives me. Welcoming them is welcoming Jesus, is what he's saying here. It's similar to Matthew 25. To the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to who? You did it to me. Reaching out to them is reaching out to Jesus. Receiving them is receiving the Lord. And so he's saying to these disciples, would you stop arguing over who is the greatest? Would you stop your petty bickering over who's more important and who has authority and who's the boss and who is this? And would you just start serving people? Would you start caring for kids, literal kids, and would you start caring for spiritual kids? Start pouring yourself into the lives of others and stop arguing among yourselves who is the greatest. Prioritize spiritual encouragement. No more stumbling. Secondly, verse 6. Expect ultimate accountability. And now he gives a very, very serious, stern warning. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. What do you have here? You have an angry father, is what you have. Fear the father. Dads can get pretty ticked if someone messes with our kids. We can get pretty upset. Last Thursday afternoon, I was pretty ticked. I got a frantic, somewhat call from my wife that went something like this. Scott, please pray. You never want to hear those words right off the bat. Scott, please pray. My wife went on to tell me that our son was putting his stuff in the trunk on the last day of school. Some other boys came up behind him and put him in the trunk and then shut it. And he had his key in the trunk with him. And it's an older car, so he can't get out. They, um, they couldn't get him out. The police finally had to come, and it was getting hotter and hotter. And he was in there for 20 to 25 minutes, and I could hear the police officer as my wife was talking to me. Please tell me if you're feeling faint. I need to know if you're okay. Please t- keep talking to me came to find out he was okay. A couple of his friends were goofing off so-called friends, made a very bad decision, who, and they had a chance to meet with the police and the principal, and parents were called. My first response after finding out that he was okay, I want to know the names of those kids right now. Who are they? Where do they live? That's my first response as a, as a dad. 
I mean, I, I'm mad is what I am, okay? You, you don't mess with my kids. And if you mess with my kids, you mess with me. And I may be 145 scroungy little skinny thing, but get me mad, I'm the Hulk, okay? Just telling you, I'm going to get mad. And, and God gets mad when people mess with his kids. You don't mess with God's kids because when you do, you mess with God. Verse 6 says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble. Whoever. When it comes to literal children, whoever is anyone preying on a child, abusing a child verbally, physically, sexually, you don't mess with little kids or you're messing with God. When it comes to spiritual children, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, Better be careful, professor. Better be careful, teacher, poisoning the minds of Christians with doubts about their faith and leading them astray. God doesn't take kindly to that. Better be careful, neighbor or relative, enticing others to sin, or coworker convincing you it's okay to lie or steal or cheat, or those people in suits and ties so nicely knocking on your door, inviting them to their cult. God does not take lightly to those causing believers to stumble, to draw a little child away from God, from salvation or from the Savior, you've signed your death warrant. You're in trouble in God's eyes unless you repent and come to Jesus. To stumble, what does it mean? It comes from the Greek word scandalon. Scandal is what we get our word from. To stumble means to cause someone to sin, to entice them or trap them or influence them for evil, to lead them away and lead them astray from the things of God. And he gives this dire warning. And you've heard the saying, don't mess with Texas. Texas, nothing. Don't mess with God. It would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned into the depth of the sea. A millstone around the neck would be less painful and more pleasant, is what God says. Here's a picture of a millstone. The upper millstone is what they're talking about. It's the one that the donkey would pull around and would crush the grain or the corn underneath it. They weigh anywhere from 100 to 1,000 pounds. He says, you know what? Put that around your neck and I'll toss you overboard. It's a bad way to go. Here's a picture of children among some millstones. He says, you mess with those little ones, you get one of those around your neck. Romans were notorious for punishment and torture. They'd feed you to the lions, they'd nail you to a cross, they also used millstones. They would take a prisoner out on a boat, attach a millstone to his neck, and push that millstone overboard, and you would go with it. You know what God is saying? He's saying you would beg for a millstone when you gaze at that lake of fire. You would beg for that kind of death, for what you have coming to causing my children to stumble. Stumbling blocks are in very serious trouble. You don't mess with God's people. In relation to the nation of Israel, Zechariah 2.8, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. God's people are the apple of his eye. That means the most delicate, the most sensitive part, the cornea. What he's teaching is, is if you touch God's people, you poke God in the eye. And God doesn't like to be poked in the eye. Fear the Father. It's a dire warning. Now, jump down to verse 10 with me. Look at verse 10. The whole idea of children's, children come up again. 
See to it that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. So do not despise them. Do not treat them with contempt and see them as worthless or put a stumbling block before them. The angels are watching. He says, I want you to understand that angels are among us. Hosts, multitudes of heavenly warrior beings that you do not see and I do not see but they're among us. Jacob caught a vision of them ascending and descending a celestial stairway into heaven in Genesis 28, coming and going and going and coming. In Acts 12, 7, they freed Peter from prison. They woke him up saying, get up quickly, and his chains fell off. One spoke with Paul in Acts 27 saying, do not be afraid, Paul. In Luke 16, 22, poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. An angelic escort brought that man to heaven. Hebrews 13.2, we're told, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without even knowing it. We know the story of Abraham in Genesis. And then we read these words. Read together with me, Hebrews 1.14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? How many of you are believers that are going to inherit salvation someday going to heaven? Do you realize the angels have ministered to you in ways that you do not know of? At times you did not even realize. They minister to God's people. And then we're told that they have direct access to God. They continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. There are personal reports that are made when crimes are committed against God's people. And the angels make the reports. It goes on their record these stumbling blocks. It's it's detailed in a database. In Revelation 20, the books are opened and the evidence is presented at at the great white throne judgment. God knows the sin, the stumbling blocks that are thrown out against God's people. No more stumbling. Prioritize spiritual encouragement. Expect ultimate accountability. Verse 7, understand they're unavoidable. What's unavoidable? Stumbling blocks. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. For it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to the man through whom the stumbling block comes. He says, woe to the world. What does that mean? It means judgment is coming. You you can bank on it. Judgment is coming. There is ultimate accountability. Woe, judgment to those havoc-producing troublemakers and those evil instigators causing so much sorrow and so much pain in this world. Woe because of the stumbling blocks that entice people to evil and lead people astray and cause disbelief and doubt. And then he says they're unavoidable. It is inevitable that stumbling blocks come. He's saying this is a very sinful world and there's no way to get around stumbling blocks. We live in a depraved and wicked and vile world. It's fallen. He says every single day, you got to hurdle stumbling blocks. They're coming your way. Aurora Christian School just celebrated the victory for the men's and the women's state championship in track and field. Only the eighth time in the history of this state that a school has had the men's and women's win. One of those events was the hurdles. I want want you to see a clip from the 2011 Arizona State High School track and field meet. This is the 300-meter hurdles.
she did get up and she finished the race, just to let you know. I had a track coach come up, a high school track coach come up after the first service. And he took particular interest in that. And he said, Scott, I I want you to understand why she fell. He said, first of all, do you realize that that is a high school state finals? She's very good hurdler. She wouldn't be there if she wasn't good. And she was on an inside lane, one of the middle lanes, which she was one of the favorites to win it, in other words. He said, but in the heat of the competition, sometimes those athletes press too hard. They feel the pressure. And they they speed up too fast. They're not counting their steps. And that's when disaster happens. Sometimes it's pride. They've run those hurdles thousands of times. Sometimes you wake up and there's hurdles facing you this day. You think, I've faced them before. Sometimes the pressure is on and you're hurrying too fast. I want you to understand you can't go around those hurdles. You have to jump over them. And you need to be very, very careful of the stumbling blocks in this world. They're unavoidable. They are inevitable. Every single day, I I wish you would start seeing this sign. Caution, stumbling blocks. You need to understand every single morning when you wake up, there are stumbling blocks out there to make you trip. There are hurdles out there that you're going to have to jump over. You have to face it. They are inevitable. Something else that is inevitable is this time of year, graduation announcements and invitations and wedding invitations and invitations. We get invitations to everything. I want you to understand you're going to get an invitation to sin every single day. Every single day. You're going to be invited to come and lust and come and steal and come and lie about that. Oh, and, and come and cheat and come and get drunk and come and indulge every kind of fleshly activity to your heart's desire. Every single day you're going to get an invitation. Numerous ones. Stumbling blocks. Hurdles. That you have to jump over. Every single day in my mailbox I get junk mail. How about you? I hate junk mail. You know, and you go to your box. How many of you don't even bother opening it up? You just rip it. But once in a while they get tricky and you're not sure. And then you open It's like, that's junk mail. I shouldn't waste my time opening that thing. Every single day you're going to get junk mail, stumbling blocks, enticements to sin. Don't answer it. Don't open it. Get rid of it. Throw it away. Oftentimes those invitations will come from a friend. Hey, join me. A neighbor, a classmate, asking if you want to go somewhere, do something. A co-worker. Invitations will come. They'll come on the TV. They'll come on your computer. They'll come on your phone. They'll come in a magazine. They'll come in a book. They'll come in a movie. The invitation to sin, the hurdle, the stumbling block will be there every single day. Beware and be ready. And by the way, he says, woe to that man through whom the stumbling block comes. Beware, predators of children. Beware, purveyors of sin. Beware, 
your days are numbered and something far worse than a millstone awaits. No more stumbling. Prioritize spiritual encouragement and expect ultimate accountability and understand they're unavoidable. But verse 8 and 9 teaches a very important truth. Take extreme measures. Say it with me. Take extreme measures. I want to share a story with you about Sarah Dean who comes to our church. Sarah and her family come here. Her dad's on staff here as well. They're all in Ohio today at a wedding this weekend. Hopefully there's not a pool where people can fall in. She gave me permission to share her story. Just a couple months ago in March, Sarah went on a medical missions trip to Bolivia. And uh, she's a trauma and critical care nurse. And uh, on that missions trip, they helped doctors with 26 surgeries and saw over 1,000 patients. And Sarah stayed then an additional week to deliver medical supplies and visit missionaries and encourage them. And she also went to work at an orphanage and visit children there. Part of the trip included traveling over the salt flats of Bolivia um, in a bus. Here's a picture of the salt flats. 4,000 square miles of that. That's the salt flats. 12,000 feet elevation. There is salt that is up to 10 meters thick, hard as cement. There's actual no roads in that entire area. And there's no speed limit. I like that. No roads, no speed limit. And she was two hours into the trip on the salt flats when an SUV came out of nowhere and cut the bus off. The bus started rocking back and forth. It fell over on its side, the side where Sarah was, was um, against the window. It pinned her hand between the bus and the salt flats, and then the bus slid across the ground with her hand still underneath it. Her hand was crushed, and four of her five fingers were severed off. Sarah was the most serious injury on the bus. There were four men in the SUV that cut him off. Three of them were killed. It was later determined that those men were thieves, cutting off the bus, attempting to hold it up. They were stumbling blocks. And they met with Sarah's father, her heavenly father. Sarah was suffering massive bleeding from her arm. She realized she needed a tourniquet, so she made a tourniquet to stop the bleeding. She used a missionary's belt at first, but it wasn't tight enough. Forty minutes into the accident, she remembered seeing a big cowboy hat with some rope on it. And she asked the missionary for the rope. She wrapped it around her arm, held it with her teeth, and a Bolivian man came into the bus and helped her tie it. Sarah was pretty sure she was going to die. And so she started witnessing to the people on the bus and sharing Christ with them. And she started witnessing to a little girl. And the little girl acknowledged that she already knew the Lord, but the little girl took out a spoon, a regular spoon. And Sarah knew what the spoon was for. Sarah asked to take the spoon. She took the spoon, and with her right hand, she started digging into that salt flat to free her hand that was still underneath the bus because she was pinned by that bus. And she was finally able to free what was left of her hand, wrap it up in cloth, and make her way out the emergency window. And by that time, some ambulances had finally come from the villages nearby. Sarah had lost her hand, but saved her life. She had lost her hand, but saved her life. Jesus teaches this truth in verse 8. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, what? Cut it off. Throw it from you. It's better that you enter life crippled or lame than that you have two hands or two feet and be cast into eternal fire. 
If your eye causes to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be cast into fiery hell. Now, Sarah's situation has nothing to do with her sin, but her story illustrates and teaches this truth. Let me say, well, Pastor Scott, I don't get it. Why would Jesus teach this? Why would he teach, cut off your hand, cut off your foot, and pluck out your eye? Because our hands and our feet and our eyes can be a serious source of stumbling for us. Our hands and our feet and our eyes can cause us to sin in all kinds of ways. Think about your hand for a minute. The hand can steal what doesn't belong to it. The hand can punch and slap in anger and hatred. The hand can touch in inappropriate ways someone or something it should never touch. The feet, the feet can wander in the places it should never go. The feet can can take you where you have no business going. The eyes, the eyes can lust after sexual images or illicit relationships. The eyes can covet possessions or things or people that do not belong to you. And so Jesus says, cut it off! Cut off the hand, cut off the feet, pluck out the eye, gouge it out! You may say, well, this just sounds crazy. Is it literal? Is it figurative? It's obviously not literal, or we'd all have one eye, one hand, one foot in this place. Okay? We'd all be cutting limbs off. Understand? And, and by the way, none of those things would remove the source of the problem. The source of the problem is our what? Our heart. And and, and earlier, in an earlier chapter in Matthew 15, Jesus taught this, verse 18. But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from where? The heart. And those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. So, So what does all this mean? Why would he say, cut off the hand, cut off the feet, pluck out your eye if the heart is the problem? There's two applications here. One is for you who are unbelievers. You do not know Jesus as your Savior. And the question for you is, what is keeping you from heaven? What is keeping you from heaven? Twice the Lord mentions eternal judgment. Verse 8, and be cast into eternal fire. Verse 9, be cast into fiery hell. I want you to understand, Jesus makes it very clear, hell is real. He makes no apology for its actual literal existence. Hell is a real place where people go. So listen up, unbelievers. Listen very carefully, you who do not know Jesus as your Savior. You're in grave danger of going to hell. What is he teaching? He's saying you must be willing to let go of every and any sin, whatever is keeping you from coming to faith. Because some of you want to hold on to your sins and not let go of your sins because you love your sin and you indulge your sin and it's part of your life and you don't want to change. So you know what Jesus says? He says, don't indulge the flesh temporarily and forfeit your soul eternally. He's saying, cut it off. 
Turn from your sin and turn to God. Be done with that lifestyle. Be done with that sin. Be done with indulging your sin nature. And come to God and fall on His grace and ask for His forgiveness. That's what He's saying. He's saying to you who are unbelievers, what is keeping you from heaven? Cut it off and come to faith. There's another application for we who are Christians. And the question is, what is keeping you from holiness? What is keeping you from holiness? If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it from you. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. Sever any and all sin in your life. Do whatever it takes and break that sin habit now. That's what he's saying. He's saying no matter how painful the change, make it happen. No matter how radical the change, it's necessary. Do it and do it now. See, some of us as believers have been playing around with some sin. And the Lord is saying the consequences are huge. You're going to pay dearly. And you need to sever it now before it's too late. And some of you have seen some of those consequences already and you're still not doing anything. He's saying, now is the time immediate. Make it happen. Sever any and all sin. And I want you to understand, no matter the cost financially, some of you may need to quit your job to take you out of that situation you're in. Do it. It's radical, but it's necessary. No matter the cost socially, some of you may need to switch schools or, or find a new group of friends. And no matter the cost relationally, some of you may need to break off an engagement or, or break off a relationship because it's led you into sin. And God is saying, whatever it takes, you make the change and you make it now. There is too much at stake. There is great danger and great danger calls for drastic measure. Great danger requires drastic measures. Change needs to take place. And it needs to take place today. Is what God is saying. No more stumbling. Prioritize spiritual encouragement. Expect ultimate accountability. Understand they're unavoidable. And take what? Extreme measures. Let's pray together. You who are believers in Jesus Christ, talk to the Lord right now. Confess any sin. Ask for forgiveness. What is the radical change that needs to take place in your life? Some of you know what you need to do. And you need to do it today. You need to sever. You need to change. Talk to God about that right now. Ask God for wisdom. Ask Him for strength. Some of you right now just need to thank God for His mercy and grace. Thank Him for His forgiveness. Thank Him for saving you from so much heartache and pain.
Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Others among us, you're unbelievers. You've never come to faith in Jesus. You've come to church from time to time, but you've never personalized your faith. And you may say, Scott, that's me. It's time to let go of your sin and throw yourself at the Savior. You may say, well, what do I do? Just call out to God in faith in the quietness of your heart right now. Just use words like these. Lord Jesus, I need you. I am a wicked sinner. And I desperately need forgiveness. I'm tired of my sin. Please forgive me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for loving me that much. Lord, I place my faith in you. I can't save myself. I place my faith in you to save me. Forgive me, I pray. Save me, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've called on the Lord this morning, we'd love to talk to you about it.